This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. How good are you at managing your money? Are you worried that you're spending more than you're saving? Maybe you dipped into your rainy day fund a bit too much this year. Now, that's understandable since we are in the middle of record high inflation. Gas is still well above $4 a gallon, and just going outside feels so expensive. So what do you do when you want to be smart about your money at a time when that seems like an uphill battle? Here to help you get your financial house in order is Michelle Singletary. She is the personal finance columnist at The Washington Post. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to Reset. Oh, thank you for having me. And we want to hear from you. What personal money questions do you have? Are you looking to make an investment but maybe don't know how? Are you wondering if now is a good time to start thinking about the stock market? Our phone lines are open, and you can call with your question now at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. All right, Michelle, let's start with inflation. Uh, The Consumer Price Index report came out this morning, which tracks the uh, changes of the cost of household goods over time. And it looks like inflation grew, but the rate of inflation is slowing down. Can you make it make sense? Well, you know, it's 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 a great sign that things may be simmering down. Um, and so gas prices, the reason why it went down was mostly because gas prices have come down. So that's one factor that is a big relief for many uh, families. Now, food was still up a little bit, uh, bread, chicken, canned vegetables. But you know, one month is not a trend, but it's all. it at least says that perhaps things are going to get better. Yeah. Well, so you say it's a, it's a great sign. So sh- are you saying consumers should be cautiously optimistic now about this information? You know, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, because the thing is, we, we, we've been so inundated with bad news. We've been burned, uh, Michelle. Good news, especially bad. as it relates to the economy. Right. I think it's a good chance to be optimistic. Now, having said that, do not lay off of the things that you may have been doing already to prepare for what could be a recession still. So, you know, watching what you spend, not taking on new debt if you don't have to, um, looking at your budget and cutting whatever you can because prices are up. So still keep doing that, but you can perhaps breathe out a little bit. Yeah. Do you think the U.S. is, is out of the worst of the high price increases? You know, I'm not sure, and I don't think any of the economists that have been watching this much more closely than me know either. Um, we do know that the good, in addition to, you know, inflation coming down a tiny bit, um, the jobs numbers that came out recently um, indicated that employers are still hiring. And so that is key to our economy staying out of a recession if people are still hiring, people can work, because if those numbers start ticking up, employment goes, unemployment goes up. Up, that, that that indicates that we could be pushed in a recession for sure because if people aren't working, they can't buy goods, and then the people who sell the goods have to fire people. So, you know, it becomes a domino effect. Uh, and so I think, again, that it, there is some optimism in the news that just came out. Yeah. If you have questions for our personal finance expert, Michelle Singletary, that number to dial is 866-915-WBEZ. Again, a reminder, 866-915-WBEZ. Uh, so let's talk more, Michelle, about those those challenges, the biggest challenges that you would say right now our, our consumers are facing. 
You talked about food. That continues to mm-hmm. climb, right? Um, gas, it seems like it's gone down. Like I, I see a bit of relief um, at, at some pumps, but it's still high. <laughs> it's still high. It's still high. It's still high. You know things are bad. As my husband and I were traveling, and we saw a thing that said 366 or something for, you know, half a second. And we were like, and oh, you celebrated. Oh my God, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, go down the road, and it's for something, you know, 450. So, yeah, it obviously depends on where you are. I think that the, the area that is still very troublesome is rent. Rent was um, up um, over... Uh, uh, month to month, just shy of one uh, percent, um, and all total shelter in general is up, you know, five almost five point seven, almost six percent over last year, and that's accounting for a great deal of the total increase in all of you know in inflation. And so what that means is that, and renters know this. I don't have to tell them that that if their lease is coming up for renewal, there's an increase. If they're out looking for rental places, mm-hmm. the prices are shocking. Um, and it makes it so difficult at a time when everything else is still up in terms yes. of food and gas. And that's very concerning to me and many people because that is that is the biggest part of people's budget is their housing. Yeah. So so as, as our listeners are thinking, OK, I need to just rethink my budget or, you know, they're thinking maybe everything is costing too much. I just got to dip into my savings. That's if they have savings. Is there any way to beat inflation, Michelle? Well, two, two, the two major, or there, there are at least two or three major areas of anybody's budget is housing, food, utilities, transportation. Housing is the biggest piece. People spend anywhere from 30 to 50 to 60% of their net income on housing. And so you've got to look at your housing situation. And, and I say this recognizing this is not easy advice, but if you can... If you're a young adult, for example, and you can do this, not everybody can, but if you can, stay with your parents, you know, stay with relatives. If you coming out of school and you had a whole bunch of roommates, get more roommates, you know, I mean, because if you can cut that housing cost, it's one small way to beat inflation until things come down and you can be on your own. And I say this because I live my own advice. I have three 20-something-year-olds, and they're all living with my husband and I. Is it always pleasant? No. <laughs> no. But we're doing this because, especially the youngest two, one who just graduated from college, she's going to start her new teaching job next week. I'm so proud of her. Wow. And she was out there looking for an apartment. And, she, you know, it would have taken up an entire one. She gets two paychecks a month. It would take up an entire paycheck to pay for her rent and a decent place. And she says to me, Mommy, I, I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. And so we like, you know what? What? Just stay at home. It's oh, cool. But Michelle, and so she's going to commute, and and that's that's the case for the other two as well. The rent was so much, and this allows them to start saving for retirement and save more money for the time when they do launch. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I just I had plans to get mine out at eighteen, <laughs> so this changes <laughs> this this changes everything. Yeah, I mean, are they know, paying rent? That's, that's, 
I think that's advice that we need to get rid of. If young adults felt that they could be home and we stopped all the jokes about, oh, they're 30 living in their parents' basement, because if you're coming out with student loan debt or if you're trying to eventually buy your own place, there is nothing wrong, again, if it's a, if it's a possibility to stay with your parents for not just a couple of years, but yeah. several years. But you're contributing, right? Your paycheck, because much of it would have gone to housing. And then when you launch, you could be a homeowner in your early 30s and with a mortgage that you could pay off before you're 50 or 60. And that would be a game yeah. changer. And that's the advice we've been giving to our young adults. My oldest, she's 27. She's been at home for now a year and a half, good on two years. And she's saying, a boatload of money. She's putting 15% of her income in her retirement account. Mm-hmm. You know, she and, and she's just throwing it in her savings account so that when she's ready to buy a house, she will be able to put down such a large down payment that she'll be getting rid of that mortgage long before her dad and I did. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Michelle Singletary. She's the personal finance columnist for The Washington Post. We're also taking your calls. What personal money questions do you have? Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. All right, Michelle, let's jump to some listener questions here. They've been waiting patiently. We're going to start with Judy in Belmont Cragen. Hi, Judy. Welcome to Reset. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my call. What's your question? Uh, I am. I have two inherited IRAs, not Roth, and I'm donating land from the sale of my house. I split the lots. I'm donating two of the lots to Champion Township, which is in Michigan. It's considered a governmental unit. And I'm wondering, should I, I I was hoping to use the IRA. I've already I thought I would pay the RMD off to the government because this is going to land me in a different tax bracket. I know, especially with the other IRA, which I'm not asking about. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a smart thing to do? And I just wondered if you knew if the fees associated like soil tests for green burial, soil right. tests and blah, blah, blah. If that's tax deductible, is that a good way to go? Michelle, right. we have a so, response. Yeah, I, I'm not sure with your tax situation how much of that is going to be deductible. So one of the things she's talking about is if you've got an IRA that you can do some uh, charitable donations through and that would help you with your tax situation. It's called a Qualified Charitable Distribution, a QCD. I think that's what she means. And you can donate distributions from your IRA um, can go to that. Now, as far as the land, I would suggest that you talk to an accountant, you know, Tax law can be very complicated, um, and what is deductible and what is not, you've got to be very careful about that. So I'm not familiar with the tax laws as it relates to donated land, um, but I do know that distributions from your traditional IRA, um, uh, which would incur you know, income taxes, can be offset. Um, if you give it to charity, and this is for, but you've got to be uh, 70 and a half or older to make that. And you have to make the contributions directly from the IRA. Um, and I think if you can donate up to $100,000 without it being considered a tax a taxable distribution. So having said all that, because I can, I can see people's eyes are like, what, what? So <laughs> you know, talk to a, an accountant, a tax person familiar with IRA's distributions to help you figure out what is exactly deductible and what is the best way to, to 
improve your tax situation when you have um, IRA money or inherited IRA money. All right, let's hear now from Maritza. Hi, Maritza. Welcome to Reset. Hey, Sasha. Um, my question is, what would be the benefit of having a savings account opposed to simply having a checking account? Good question. That's a great question. So, Marissa, let me tell you, I'm a pot person. Now, not that kind of pot, <laughs> but I like different pots for my money. And I think it's important to separate that because it really puts up a roadblock. So in my own personal life, I've got a checking account, which I've designated as my household checking. That's where my check comes in, my paycheck comes in. I pay, you know, the mortgages, utilities, and then I have money from my paycheck sent to a savings account that I designate as the life happens fund. So every month I shave off some money, I send it to that account, and that account is for things in life that happens. Mm -hmm. The car breaks down, dishwasher breaks, you know, there's a party propped up and I've got to buy a person, and I it wasn't in my budget. So that's called a life happens fund. I put that in a savings account. I don't get an ATM card connected with it, and so then I use that for the things that come up. And then I also have another savings account for my emergency fund money. That's the money if you lose your job. So you're going to set it and forget it. You're going to put some money in there. You're going to set it, and you just let it sit there in case something the worst happens, you lose your job. So I think the benefit of having those different pots, the checking and saving helps put a separation. Because sometimes when all your money is in one account, there's a temptation to overspend because you're looking, yes. oh, I've got $200 left after I pay everything. Let me just go out and, you know, and, and paint the town. That's an old saying, right? Yes. <laughs> you know? uh, but, but if it's not there, if you had sent it off to its other pot, then you're likely to leave it there for the things that you need down the road. Michelle, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, consulting with a financial advisor is necessary right now. And, and if so, I mean, how do you find a reputable one or a reputable tax accountant? What, what credentials do they need to have? If you get to the point where you are not sure what to do and you're, you've got some extra money and you want to make sure that you're um, investing it well, then that's the time to see a financial planner. And listen, I, um, my husband and I have used financial planners in the past, and we got to the point where we had some money, you know, we got retirement, sending the kids to college, and we were like, are we doing the right thing? And we met with a planner, and it changed our financial life. Because, first of all, we were investing too conservative for our, for our own good. And, and she said, listen, you got to be more aggressive if you want that money to grow. This was 20-some, 30-some years ago. And we followed her advice, and you know what happened? We had enough money to send our kids to college debt-free. We were able to get more money in our retirement account. And so if you look, and here's how we have found, we've had different financial advisors. We asked for recommendations. We asked our friends and family members, who are you working with? That's one way. If you want to find a fee-only financial planner, you can go to the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. That's a lot. So yeah. if you're listening and you're driving or you, you know, don't have a pen, just go to you know, Google it and, and put in fee-only financial planners and the organization will come up. Then you can click on how to find an advisor. You put in your zip code and a list of, of advisors will come up. That's why I say you should start. And one of the things you want to look for is you want to make sure that they're accredited. 
You want to make sure um, that they're listening to what you need. If they come from some, they come with some sort of prepaid plan of invest in these without having listened to you, mm-hmm. looking at your whole financial picture, that's not the person you want to go to. Um, and then you want to just make sure um, that they, again, are certified so they've got all the credentials they're supposed to do. So I would say go to that organization that I told you, um, the National Association of Financial, I'm sorry, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors to look for fee-only person. Michelle, I've got more questions for you, but I do want to start with Jason, who's on the line in Hoffman Estates. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jason. Thanks for holding. What's your question? Hi, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a complex situation, but um, I have a I have a condo. I'm a disabled worker where my job can take me off of work at any point. So that's what happened from March to June of this year. So for that time, I did not have any money. Coupled with my association dues um, for my condo were being applied to my principal erroneously, and I didn't know that. So now I owe over $4,000 worth of association dues, and I have over $15,000 worth of credit card debt. I'm, my question is, what should I do to save my house? Um, should I declare bankruptcy? Good question, oh, Jason. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so wow. sorry. So sorry. I'm so sorry, Jason. Now, do you? Um, is it a one-bedroom or condo? Is it a two-bedroom? Are you living with anyone? What's your living situation? It's a one-bedroom condo. I live by myself. Which yeah. <laughs> which is what? I'm sorry. With two cats. I live with two cats. So just me oh, and my two cats. With two cats. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what should yeah, you do? Yeah, I'm so so sorry. Um, and um, did you say you had? You have credit card debt, you said. Correct. I have $15,000 worth of credit card debt, and I owe. um, It's currently in litigation because there was a complex situation with the $4,000 for the association dues. So I don't have the funds currently because I just got back to work in the beginning of July. Right. um, To to pay the $4,000 by September, and by September they're going to go ahead and take possession of the house. So I'm trying to just save my house and save, really save my house for my cats because I don't, I work, now that I'm back to work, I work 12 hours a day for the uh, for a federal service. So I'm just struggling to, to figure out what can I do just to save my house. Like at this point, I don't think I'll be able to come up with the $4,000 by September, wow. um, my September court date. Yeah. So they're going to take so- possession. And have you been working with, this is a situation that is um, happening to quite a few people. Have you been working with the lender to try to come up with a payment plan for the time that you were not working? The the lender has actually been okay. The situation is coming directly from the association. Um, My association is ACM. Okay. So this is what I'm going to tell you to do, and they can help put you in contact with some other resources in your area. So I need you to contact the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, um, NFCC. It's a credit counseling association, and when you go on their website, you can put in your zip code. They will connect you with a local nonprofit consumer counseling credit agency. Um, in addition to helping people get out of debt so they may be able to help you with that credit card debt, getting on a plan to pay all that, they can also talk to you about your budget and what's going on and help direct you to some local resources that perhaps could help you. It may be um, that you uh, filing from bankruptcy isn't an option 
to at least stop what's happening because when you file for bankruptcy, all actions against you stop, which will maybe give you some breathing room to figure it out. It doesn't mean that you have to go through with the bankruptcy, but it is a strategy for you to get everybody to just stop and see are there other things that you can do so you don't lose your home. Wow. Well, uh... Let's talk about the recession for a moment, uh, Michelle. As I yeah. mentioned, there have been murmurings of a looming recession. In fact, a recent survey found that a whopping 83% of employed adults are worried about this. Give us your take and tell us how we can prepare for it financially. Like, Can you yeah. recession-proof your so, life? You know, I'm, when you look at those surveys, you know, people feel very deeply that things are are terrible for them. And sometimes that's not always true. And so I've been writing in the Washington Post, and we actually have a quiz on the Washington Post, like how, where do you stand with the recession? And I really encourage you to go to the the site and take the quiz, because it'll help soothe your mind if you're in a third category. So we really have three categories of people um, as we created the quiz. So the first one are people like Jason, who's having trouble. Things are, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and and their housing is in jeopardy. Um, And so for those folks, Again, you know, if you can get to a budget counselor that can sort of help you, connect you with some community resources. So, that again, that was the National Foundation for Credit Counseling or F. Uh, nfcc.org. Um, and then the second group of people are lots of people who are, they're making it. Um, it can be tough, um, but they're working, the money's coming in, and they got to cut back. And so those are the folks that I say, look at your budget. And I was actually just working with um, an, uh, a senior citizen um, who was she was saying, I just, what can I do? I don't have any money. And I said, listen, pull your bank account for the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Get out some highlighters and just go through and see what you're spending on. And it turns out she had a couple, if not several hundred dollars in her budget because she was spending on things that she didn't really recognize. Like when she went to Costco, she was overspending. And so I would say if you're worried about the recession, go to the numbers. See if there's places where you can cut. If you've got four streaming services, cut it down to one. Yeah. Now, that may not be a huge amount of savings, but if you can eke out $50, that could help towards debt or to pay for the extra cost for your groceries. And then there are many Americans, and there are many of them, who are, you know, they're still vacationing. They're on vacation right now. They may be listening from their vacation place, but they paid a lot for gas, and so they're feeling that, oh, the recession is terrible for me, but you're on vacation. Or, you know, during the 4th of July weekend, you know, millions of people were traveling, and they weren't all going to see Aunt Bessie who was sick. And so that group of people who are doing okay and well, I need you not to panic because we do need you to continue to spend because you can afford to spend. Yeah. And so that's how I've been sort of trying to get people. I talk to them depending on which of those categories that they are in. Yeah, great advice. Uh, a couple of reset producers, Michelle, they, they want to buy property right now, but they're worried that the market is going to crash as soon as they do. So do you recommend they wait or just bite the bullet? I say, you know what, buy the house when you're ready to buy the house. Because if you're buying a house to live in and the value goes down and you plan to stay there for a while, what do you care what the value is? I never really look at how much my house is worth because I've been here for 17 years. I'm Mm -hmm. not going anywhere. So I don't really care. It only matters the value if you're going to sell and you're going to sell in a short period of time. But if you don't, if you're not carrying a bunch of debt and you got money saved up for that house and the interest rate and the term 
work for your budget, and and this is the time that you want to do it, and you're going to be in place for a while, then go ahead and pull that trigger and buy that house. But make sure those numbers work. So, for example, don't spend more than about 30, 36 to 38% of your net income on your housing. If you're approaching more than that, that might mean that you're not ready to buy that house, that it's going to really, it's going to make it difficult for you to save for other things. Now, the banks will qualify you for more because they're using your gross income numbers. But I don't know about you, but I don't Mm -hmm. live on my gross income. I don't (laughs) bring that money home. And so anytime I borrow money, I use my net numbers, what I have after taxes, to determine whether I can afford something. Yeah, that is such, such good advice. Actually, wrote that down, Michelle. Um, Let's jump back to the phones. (laughs) Here's Antonio in Lakeview. Hey, Antonio, what's your question? Hi, Michelle. Uh, Thanks for your help today. My question is for you would be um, in regards to the fee-only financial planning versus a Vanguard or a Fidelity doing your financial planning for you. What what do you suggest is one better, better than the other? You know, I, it really depends. I don't know you hate those answers, those type of answers, right? So I've used both. I've used fee-only and I've used funds that, you know, make money based on how you invest. But you are, what the thing is, is the person meeting your needs? So if you are pretty okay, you're doing okay, and you just want someone to assess you, then a fee-only is sort of the way to go because – what they'll do is they'll take in all your information, your income, your savings, when you want to retire, what are your financial goals, and you pay for a plan and anywhere from 1000 to $1,500, and that's money well spent for them to look at everything. Yeah. If you don't have that kind of money and you're saying, I'm okay with paying somebody a commission or uh, or percentage of the money that I invest with them, then that's okay too. But the key thing is to understand how they're getting paid and you be comfortable with that because you don't want you and the other thing is you want to hire someone who is it's called a fiduciary and that person has to give you information that is in your best interest so whatever you do when you're working with someone you ask them are you a fiduciary and that means they gotta recommend stuff that is in your best interest not theirs this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking with Michelle Singletary. She's the personal finance columnist for The Washington Post. We're also taking a few more calls. So tell us what personal money questions you might have. Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. Michelle, let's hear now from Noemi in Bolingbrook. Hi, what's your question? Uh, I have some savings. Hello, thank you for taking me. I have some savings. I'm a retiree, uh, being a former teacher for a long time. And I, um, I don't want to, I, I keep it in the savings at all. Try to give me on. What can I do with the savings? It's a little difficult I, to hear you, Noemi, but I, I think I, I, I know that your question is uh, around the fact that you've got a pretty significant savings account in a credit union that's not earning much interest right now. And uh, it sounds like she wants to know what to do with it. That's a great question. And so I'm going to answer it two ways. So people, when you have a savings account, your emergency money, or what I talked about before, your life happens money, that money is there for a purpose. It's, It's in that pot that needs to be there when you need it. And so don't worry that it's not making a lot of money because you, it, to keep it safe, 
you put it in a deposit account where deposit accounts are paying if you can get two percent you're you're you know you're not barely two percent but that's money's role is to stay liquid and be available to you and so i don't i don't even know what my checking account, life happens, money is making because it's making practically nothing. But I don't care because that money's role is to just be there. Now, if you have a lot of money in a savings, like past what you really need for like three to six months or a year, and it's just being parked there, one place you can put it is a series I bond. So series, the letter I bond. It's paying 9.2% from now until October, the end of October. I know it's like it's people's minds are blowing right now. <laughs> what? And so the government, it's a government savings bond that is built to beat uh, so, sorry, to keep pace with inflation. And so because inflation is up, what that bond is paying is up. So from now until the end of October, you can buy up to $10,000 per year, uh, 12 months, in an I-bond. Uh, and that's a great place to park money. Now, having said that, you can't you can't withdraw that money within a year. So don't put your, you know, life happens or money, emergency money that you might need. But if you got extra, I would suggest that you buy some I bonds, and it, and then when it resets, the amount the interest will reset in November. It's probably still going to be fairly high because its goal is to be uh, to stay pace yeah. with inflation. So for her, if she's got extra money for savings, I would suggest looking into a Series I savings bond. Yeah. And if you go to WashingtonPost.com, I've written several articles, columns on what those yes. bonds are, how do you buy them, because you have to go to TreasuryDirect.gov to buy the bond. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Michelle. So we'll also tweet out some of the links that you mentioned, too. That is Michelle Singletary, Great. personal finance columnist at The Washington Post. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.